Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, a show where we discuss trends, pop culture, and the road to Cannes Lion Festival, because at the end of the day, everything is an ad. I'm Rebecca Sure, Europe brand editor at Adweek, and as always, by my side, I have my lovely co-host and Adweek's community editor, Liz Corona. How are you today, Liz? I'm good, my friend. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm getting ready for Cannes, but I'm not feeling quite as prepared as I usually would. <laughs> Seems chaotic. Yeah, then I think you're right on track because it seems like everybody feels chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> good. good to hear. Um, so today we have a really special two-part episode. Joining us later, we have Lola Bakari, who is a CMO advisor, author, and inclusive marketing strategist. And joining her, we have Peter Okurabor, who is managing director at ad agency UWG and founder of Black at Can, which is an organization that aims to bring underrepresented black creatives to Can Lion. But first up, we have two of Adweek's own brilliant guests joining us um, to give a sneak preview of the Adweek issue that is going to Can Lion. And they are Brittany Kiefer, who is Adweek's creativity editor, and Amy Lederman, our reporter covering creativity and the creator economy. How are you both today? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great. Thanks so much for having us. It's great to be here. Well, it's fun to have you guys. And Amy, I'm super keen to chat to you first because you've just come off writing an amazing cover story for the next issue, which is all about creativity and culture. Could you talk to us about who you interviewed? And I hear you went to this person's house, so I'm very (laughs) intrigued. (laughs) Yes. So I did go to this person's house. It was just a coincidence that I was in town, which sounds fake, but it actually was. Um, (laughs) And I... Yeah, I came to her, I went to her house and we had um, the photo shoot and I actually interviewed her um, when I was in college in 2020. This was like three weeks before lockdown. So I asked her um, if she remembered me and she was very sweet about it. I definitely don't think she actually did, but regardless, she was very nice about it. (laughs) Made me feel good. Um, And... I, um, it was just nice to like see, think about like her progression from um, when she spoke to me in 2020 to now, because I feel like she kind of, she was very much still considered a child star. Like she had her start at Nickelodeon and she was in Aquila and the Bee and some of these early movies. Um, But she's really made this career pivot into being, I would say, like more of a multifaceted creator and she's really focused on uplifting new talent and more diverse talent and making it clear that there's so many opportunities like behind this behind the scenes or behind like behind the camera that actually allows you to shape narratives more so it was it was really a great conversation and we're allowed to say who this is right because the issue is going to be out by oh then. did I not say that no <laughs> It is. Do you want to tell us, Emmy? I mean, I oh love the lead up, like the teaser. That whole conversation was like a teaser. Who is wow, it? I think I've I just like assumed that because we've talked about her like 80 million times since I got this assignment. But okay, that would be helpful. Kiki Palmer is her Kiki name. Kiki Palmer. <laughs> 
You were keeping the listeners in suspense, I mean. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like we're that was a like, good Who? tactic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love your history there. I, I feel like and we were talking about this at the office a little bit. I feel like it's such a full circle moment for you because you got to interview her in college. It was your that was like a big deal for you then, and now you have a cover story like at Ad Week. So I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's really it's honestly just a really cute again, full circle coincidence. I feel like when I was doing it in college, I was really, really nervous. And I was telling Luz, like, I was with my friend um, who's just a lot, who was just like a lot more outgoing and comfortable at the time. And at the end of the interview, she was like, I just want to let you know I'm living for you. And I was kind of just sitting there and I was like, I need to make a comeback with this woman. <laughs> and you did. And you I really did. did. I did. I was like, I want her to live for me too. And hopefully she does. So that was, um, yeah, very happy that that happened, that I was able to meet her again. Yes. Well, definitely. I, I can't wait to like get my hands on the story. So we're like super excited and congrats to you, my friend. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So I, I was going to bring over the conversation to Brit because we she spearheaded the Creative 100 list. And Brittany, how was that experience? That is a very big feat, my friend. And you guys were faced <laughs> with a lot of challenges and we and you did it. How was it? Yeah, it's a huge project. It's probably the biggest project I've ever worked on. And I think for Ad Week, it's one of our biggest features of the year. So I'm just happy it's out in the world now. <laughs> you absolutely smashed it, Britt. And I just think the caliber of this year's list is so high. Can you talk a little bit about some of the people you've spotlighted and what kind of categories you split the list up into? Sure. So the Creative 100, for those who don't know, is a list of 100 creative people. And they're not just from advertising, they're from TV, filmmaking, um, they're celebrities, they're influencers, brands, uh, um, just all <laughs> every discipline really that you can think of. Um, so the way it works is that anyone can enter to to be on the list, but then ultimately the editorial team decides who the hundred people are. And we add our own picks of just people we like and admire, um, from the past year. So it's a real diverse mix. It's people who you might recognize and those that you haven't heard of. There are different levels of their career. There's agency leaders and rising agency talent. There's marketers at brands, there are TV creators and writers, there are directors, um, creators that I hadn't heard of until Emmy told me about them, <laughs> or um, artists and authors of books that we liked. And it's just a, it's a really big mix. And so it was fun to work on from that perspective. And I think it'll be fun to read as well, because you'll probably learn about it, a lot of new people. Mm -hmm. And Emmy's like her resident Gen Z uh, reporter and uh, representative. <laughs> Emmy, <laughs> was there anyone that like really stood out to you on this year's list? Um, I think two. One of them is this woman, Elizabeth Gascoigne, who owns um, or she started up this company, Absence of Proof, and it's all about um, providing like nightlife alternatives um, in New York City for people who are maybe sober or just like want to have more opportunities that don't revolve around alcohol. And the way that she's advertised it and really cultivated a community, I think is super impressive. Um, the other one I would say is these two meme page admins, Barrett Adair and Carter Lee. Um, they own a American Girl doll 
meme page and it's just really impressive the way that they've like kind of worked off the back of a brand without actually being affiliated with the brand and now they have this viral meme page about American Girl dolls and they're like tapping into nostalgia and are actually getting brand deals so I was like this is creativity at its finest. (laughs) <laughs> That's so cool. I, I like honestly, I'm excited for this list. I think we all are. We all like it was all hands on deck to writing the blurb. So I, I hope our readers enjoy. Um, and then Britt, do you want to tell us about the C100 event at Cannes to kind of celebrate the this special list? Yeah, we're having a happy hour on the Monday in Cannes. It's at 5 p.m. And it will be at our space that we share with Whaler on the Croisette. And it's it's a informal thing. We just want to celebrate whatever honorees are there. It won't be all 100, unfortunately. But anyone who's there and anyone else who wants to celebrate and meet them, um, come and have some drinks on us. <laughs> Sounds good to me. And yeah, I hope to see some of you there. And thank you so much, Emmy and Brett, for coming on and just talking us through Creative 100. Thank Thank you. you. It was great to be here. Now, listeners, don't go anywhere. Please stay tuned. As I mentioned, this is a special two-part episode. And next up, we're going to be hearing from Lola Bakery and Peter Okura-Bohr. Joining us today, we have Lola Bakery, who is CMO advisor and inclusive marketing strategist and soon-to-be author of soon-to-be-published Responsible Marketing, How to Create an Authentic and Inclusive Marketing Strategy. And we're also joined by Peter Okurabor, who's Managing Director at Agency UWG. And Peter is also founder of Black at Cannes, an organisation that aims to bring underrepresented Black creatives to Cannes Lion. How are you both? Peter, you want to go first? No, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I can relate to the the organizational madness <laughs> we're all dealing with right now. And, and I'm going to slip in a pro tip um, as part of saying hello. I've been adding color labels to my Google Calendar so I can look mm-hmm. at my just can calendar. And I adjusted the time to uh, Paris time. So that's been helping a little bit. Excellent. Oh, you're like five steps ahead of me. <laughs> Peter, do you feel prepared? Oh, uh, it's a... Uh... It's it's a lot. It's uh, it's sometimes I, I stop taking calls. It's uh, it's a whole lot to plan, and when you're doing about twenty plus events in the space of one week, I'm com- competing to see if I'm doing more events than even the Can Lion at this point in time. It's going crazy. So I'm uh, so I'm pretty pretty sure I'm mentally uh, unbalanced at this moment. Great. <laughs> I, I, listen, I I don't envy you, Peter. I know myself alone has emailed you a couple times about one of the events that you're doing that I'm going to be at. So I can't I can't imagine how much incoming you've got going on. But the stuff you're doing is super exciting, and I hope people realize how much work goes into it. Thank you. Yeah, it's not all rosy and yachts, guys. It is a lot of hard work <laughs> in the blistering heat, walking up and down the Gazette all day. Um, I'm keen to start off by asking you two about your experience with Cannes and how you've kind of seen the culture there transform over the past few years. You know, post-pandemic, Cannes came back with a bang last year. Um, Lola, you go as a consultant, you know, you're flying solo when you go and that's so interesting to me because usually when marketers go, they're part of a big corporation or a big group. What's your experience of Cannes? 
Well, yeah. I mean, my experience is that I decided to make it my experience. Um, you know, last year I wasn't invited. I saw a post from a colleague of mine, Crystal Hauserman, who you guys have, have done uh, different things with, who's CMO at Paris Hilton's 1111 Media. Um, and she suggested the CMO Accelerator Program, which is like an edu- ongoing education program for uh, senior level marketers. And it was that that really inspired me to invest in sending myself to the conference. I was lucky enough to get accepted by Jim Stengel, who runs that. And it just, to me, was this opportunity to re-engage in person, um, both from a standpoint of just obviously a marketing super fan, but also, like you said, someone who works independently and doesn't get as many chances to be in community at that level, you know, as I did when I was working at, say, PepsiCo or Dell. Um, so for me, it was that like post-pandemic opportunity to re-engage. Um, I have a program I'm doing, so I won't be completely listless wandering around. And uh, it was it was was by far one of the best decisions I ever made. I'll pass it to to Peter um, by sharing that it also one of the things that he posted last year, saying, "Hey." If you're going, you know, and you're within the black community, let me know. I'm putting together a WhatsApp group for everybody to stay in touch. And that actually also became a huge anchor of like, where are we going? What are we doing? Feeling connected. That, of course, has turned into now the formal organization Black at Can't. So it was a risk and I'm a risk taker. And this one certainly paid off. Peter, you're going this year and you're wearing a few different hats and one of them is representing Black at Cannes. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Cannes and what propelled you to found that organisation? It's all about access. It's all about being able to step into a venue and not being told that you're not allowed in. It's all about having a place where you can have integrate conversations in relation to B2B engagements and how you can grow either as a creator, uh, a vendor, or simply as, as, as someone who, 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 who trills in, in, in striving in business. And that is the ultimate goal of, of, of the Can Lion, to create a space where people can actually share creativity, but also what that creativity leads to at the end and that for for us has been how can we be able to create a space and opportunity for for people to have more accessibility and that's what I've, and that's what has been our ultimate core is about creating spaces for us uh whether be it at black cans events or be it at inkwell beach or be it with Drew black but be it somewhere where black people can actually engage with each other to create more and adequate opportunities I love that. And and Peter, I mean, like what Lola mentioned before about you starting that WhatsApp group, that's so genius because I would imagine like getting to Cannes, like you have this whole like vision of what it's going to be like. And then you're like, you get there and you step on the ground and you're like, oh, wait, where do I go? So kudos to you for, for building a little community there. Um, so just speaking about creativity and the whole reason you go to Cannes, right? It's, it's also the award-winning work. Um, innovation is always rewarded, but over the past few years, we've kind of seen more of a focus on purpose and sustainability. Um, you know, Molly, our TV reporter, recently published an article on the top YouTube ads, um, and I think Google was on there, Apple. Um, you know, any predictions on what kind of work will win big this year? Lola, let's start with you. 
Yeah, I mean, as part of my journey, I um, actually had the opportunity to attend um, another conference put on by the same organization called Dubai Links as a judge in creative effectiveness um, this past spring. And I think my experience there was somewhat of a preview to what we'll see in terms of the work that really turns heads this year. And, and I would sum it up as about effectiveness, right? So we talk about purpose, innovation, sustainability, all those things. But when I hear those topics, I think these are drivers of culture and drivers of persuasion, and that's why they're being leveraged. So what I what I always encourage people to shy away from is this discussion that like, have we overdone the purpose conversation? Well, no, because we have so many problems to solve. And that's what brands do to connect with consumers emotionally. So I think we'll continue to see the things that are top of mind um, as far as inequity and the need to create systemic change be part of the work that is being awarded because it's what works. And that is just the bottom line. So the distraction of sort of like, is this too much? You know, that's coming from a place of, I think, you know, honestly, illogic. (laughs) It's coming from a place of intolerance and it's coming from a place of not wanting to accept where the world is already moving toward. Um, and, and I, I think the marketers accepting that and the, the advertising professionals accepting that this is where we're going um, are seeing the most success because they're solving problems. Yeah, so well said, Lola. Like you can never, I mean, we you can never have enough purpose-filled campaigns. There's a lot of work to do out there in the world. Um, what about you, Peter? What do you think, uh, any predictions on what will win big this year? Hmm. For the past few months, it's, uh, everyone has been strong on the word AI. And in, in, in applications this year, I feel uh, in as much as culture always fluctuates, most people would, will be looking at, in, in the right word that Lola said, effective, effectiveness and the use of AI in creating campaigns. And that's that, that where I see uh, the chunk of the win this year in terms of how it's AI being a- applied to with, within the creative space and how can and how effective it is in terms of effectiveness. And just like you said, last year or two years ago, we were focused on, on sustainability. The year before that, it was DEI. So every year has its own, its, its, its new flavor. And I feel this year's flavor will be centered around from the conversations on the main stage and from what will be we'll see on, on, on the winning tables will will be the effectiveness and the use of AI. AI. I'll chime in there and say I do think that's going to be also a hugely divisive topic amongst the agency people, and I'm excited to just sit back with my popcorn and watch those discussions go because it's this tension between, like Peter said, how can we make use of the technology um, to create success and also a lot of fear, quite frankly, about the way work gets done being completely blown up. Um, So I think I I, I would have to agree that that's going to be a very interesting theme throughout the week. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah, and you guys, we got to sync up after to see like what what really... Came true, but I think AI is totally going to be a, a topic there. Um, so going to the a big like you know elephant in the room. Let's approach it. DEI at Can. It's DEI has been an industry focus in the past few years, but it sounds like from what I'm hearing, 
Cannes hasn't quite caught up there yet. We're making strides. There's Juneteenth is being celebrated and, and there's definitely making strides there. But what needs to be done to really make the event truly feel inclusive? Peter, let's start with you. Uh, speaking of Juneteenth, this year, one of our special guests that will be coming with, with us to Cannes is, uh, is the NAACP. Uh, President Johnson from the NAACP will be one of our honored guests during our CMO slash CEO brunch, which we're having on the 20th. And to come to the point of DEI, DEI, in frankly, frankly speaking, the word DEI is dead. And uh, understanding of what DEI means and how that can transcend into business and how it's effective, uh, effectiveness of, of, of the use of DEI uh, to actually grow brands and grow products and services uh, and, and make brands understand that it's not about a good feeling for your business, but it's about survival of your business and sustainability of your business uh, in the shortest possible time. So it's not about a good feeling anymore, but if you really want your brand to grow in projection of what is ahead, you have to be attuned with what DEI is all about. And that is very, very vital for the growth of any business. When we look especially in continents like Africa, where we're projected to, to, to be one of the largest continents for, 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 for consumer-based goods within the next 10 years, it's imperative that people take that into perspective and growth is used and DEI is very, very important for growth of any business in the years to come. So can itself have to focus on what they can do about it in relation to understanding that brands come to them for solutions on, on how, how, how to position themselves to be able to sustain uh, the, 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 the fall of, of, of what the global economy looks like and how, how new ways can be created for, for them to grow. And Lola, what about you? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I, I echo a lot of what, what Peter's saying. And, you know, I think the, the mic drop moment that stands out to me is, DEI is dead. And you know what? I'm not going to disagree with that because I think the terminology mm -hmm. itself has become so broad reaching that it means all things related to representation and inclusivity and in systemic change. And it also, because of that, kind of is getting this point where it's meaning less. So what I'm excited about is the, again, problem solving aspect of talking about these topics discreetly. So when we're talking about representation on stages, that's an area where I have to say, I think that, and a lot with Peter's help, the festival itself has really made huge strides. You're not going to see mm -hmm. a ton of, um, you know, lineups and tracks where you're, where you're, you're seeing a completely homogeneous approach to who the speakers are. It's, it's very palpably top of mind with them. Um, you know, then we get into, well, what about workforce and what about attendance um, and representation along those lines? Well, that's a different issue and that's a different problem to be solved. Well, what about the work's authenticity when it is related to, quote unquote, DEI or, you know, addressing system the need for systemic change? Well, that's a different issue. So I, th I think what I'm hoping to see more of this year at the festival and beyond is just the ability for us to start talking about the discrete swim lanes of problems to solve under the DEI umbrella versus trying to lump it into mm -hmm. this one amorphous thing that ends up, you know, not really going anywhere and causing circular discussions and, and lack of real purposeful activity. So that's, that's, that's where I would 
put that one. And then I, I would say just, I mean, if you look at my LinkedIn right now, I just shared a post um, calling out the areas where we don't see representation. That's going to continue to be one of the opportunities. The festival is one thing, but as, as folks who've been to Cannes know and for everybody else, there's a whole nother um, universe of activities and programming going on that are from brands that are creating their own um, you know, can experiences. Black at Can is one. Female Quotient is another. I'm going to be doing events with both of those groups. Um, Pinterest, it's another uh, activation from a brand where I'm going to be speaking. And so we have to look at, well, what's going on in all of those spaces? And that's where I think when you get to, into the long tail of events, you'll see, I'm, I won't mention names, but I saw one this morning, a tech company... <laughs> who has a week of events, five or six different panels, not a single black speaker. And and hundreds of yeah. comments on the post with nobody calling that out. So mm. I, I'm here to say and claim it that if you need to call up Peter and learn how you can tap into the network, do it because we're going to be demanding this level of accountability from everyone who has the resources to show up and activate at Can? You can't tell me that if you have the resources to do a brand activation, no matter how big or small your company is in this space, that you don't have the resources to invest in making sure you are representing all the voices that you need to in how you tell your stories. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have my watchdog hat on, and I hope people are ready. <laughs> That's such Love a good it. point, Lola, because... Can has become such a huge beast within itself. You know, as you say, it's not just the programming at the Pali. There's entire fringe events. So it's everyone's responsibility to make sure that diversity, inclusion and equity are on the agenda. Um, you know, when they're first coming up with their ideas for Can in January. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, what you and Peter are doing on the ground there will help move the dial a bit for next year. But it's encouraging to hear that, you know, from a kind of top level standpoint, you are seeing a bit of change. Well, and I want to call out another thing related to what you're saying, because this is also a pet peeve that I know, and Peter and I have talked about this. When we're saying we want representation, we don't mean throw a panel in there about DEI. Mm -hmm. We mean get mm -hmm. an expert for everything you're talking about that represents the parts of the community that you currently aren't representing. So there are people of color, black people, indigenous people, um, you know, Latinx people, the list goes on, who can talk about everything that these companies want to have panels about. Yeah. It's not just box us into this like DEI conversation. And that happens a lot. Well, this this has been such a, an enlightening conversation. And thank you, guys. I have one more question for you, and then we can wrap up. Um, what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you went to your first Cannes Festival? Lola, let's start with mm -hmm. you. Well, <laughs> this is this is this is for all my um, fashion kings and queens out there. It's hot. Yes, that's what I've heard. And my, I mean, my family's from so Nigeria. Hot. Like I've been in heat, but this is enough. This is, the south of France is like another dimension. <laughs> So um, I would have packed probably maybe 10 or so colorful hand fans, which I'm definitely doing this year. I will never be without a hand fan throughout the week. So if you're, if you're 
um, you know, dying of heat and you need one and you, you see me, ask, ask me because I'm probably going to be carrying multiple of them. Excellent <laughs> tip. Excellent tip. <laughs> Peter, what about you? Oh, bring a lot of shorts. Yes. Uh, wear a lot of open leg shoes, like she said, it's hot. <laughs> it's, and carry a bottle of water because you're going to be walking around a lot uh, on the beachfront. So uh, come in, most importantly, come in with a game plan. Know exactly mm. who you're going for. You meet them on the street. If you don't, hijack them wherever you meet them. But make sure that by Friday, because everyone, most people are, most of those folks are gone by Thursday. Make sure by Friday morning, you already have your list aligned of what you came down there for. But come in with a plan. Come in with an idea and don't let anyone stop you. Mm. Yes, there'll be security, but don't let don't let them stop you. <laughs> <laughs> security, yeah, exactly. No, I mean, okay, sorry. Now, now, Peter, you give me another one. This is so, because it's hard. Like, I, you can tell our both of our personalities are naturally, like, we're shot shooters by default. I can't help if there's, like, a basket somewhere and I have a ball, I'm going to throw the ball at the basket. It's just what I do. But there are a lot of people who hesitate in those moments of, oh, I could introduce myself. Oh, I could ask this person, you know, if they'd be open to a 10 minute virtual coffee chat when we get back. So those those sort of risk moments of putting oneself out there, like Peter said, even as you're walking down the street, that's how I met Seth Matlins at Forbes CMO Network, who's now just a hugely important person to me in so many ways, um, you know, on the street. But had we not had that moment of engagement, had I not been willing to actually stop and, and, and speak to him, even though I didn't know him, it wouldn't have happened. So don't wait for those opportunities, anyone who's going for the first time, um, to fall into your lap. Like Peter said, grab them. And, and you know what? If 70% of the moments you try to sort of um, introduce yourself or create a connection don't work, well, that's 30% that did, and that's huge. Mm -hmm. Such good advice from you both. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. I will not be hesitating myself to seek you both out on the Gazette, especially if you have fans, Lola. Um, but thank you both so much for your time and see you in Cannes. Thank you very much. Uh, thank see you, you in Cannes. Thanks, guys. Lola. Yes, can't wait for that C CML brunch. <laughs> of course, it will. It will be amazing. Uh, I, I look forward to, to having you there and uh, whoever is listening, uh, of course, there'll be security, but you can try to sneak your way in. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there you go. Peter said it, so it's fine. <laughs> Thank you. you, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by me, Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>